This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Jonathan, as you presaged and preordained and pre-told us many times, the big one was coming and the big one is here. So the firm formerly known as Mark Zuckerberg's Dorm Room Company, then becoming Facebook, now Meta, was hit with a $1 billion plus, one euro, one billion euro plus fine. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the big one is here. The fine against Meta for violating <coughs> EU data transfer rules was levied a few weeks ago, and it's a billion plus fine. Jonathan Armstrong and I dissect it in this episode of Life with GDPR. We look at the conduct by Meta and what grounds for appeal or appeals they may have going forward. It's an episode that's fascinating and one that you as a compliance professional will want to check out. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong for the award-winning Life with GDPR. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. Well, Jonathan, as you presaged and preordained and pre-told us many times, the big one was coming and the big one is here. So the firm formerly known as Mark Zuckerberg's Dorm Room Company, then becoming Facebook, now Meta, was hit with a $1 billion plus, one euro, $1 billion euro plus fine recently and lots to digest from that. So where do you want to start? I think maybe the first thing to say is that it isn't the, the fine is in some respects startling, but that isn't the whole story. And the fine is obviously a big against a big tech player, but that isn't the whole story either. And I think many organizations or indeed any organization that's transferring data from the EU to the US in particular has to follow this case and look at the consequences. So let's start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start, as I believe some wise person once said. The This stems from complaints from Max Schrems, who we've talked about many, many times on these podcasts. And this is a complaint from Schrems to the Irish Data Protection Commission, we'll call them the DPC, about the transfer of data by Meta, the artist formerly known as Facebook, from the EU to the US. And effectively, in July 2020, there was a case in the ECJ, some people call it Schrems 2, purists call it Schrems 3, which effectively struck down a privacy shield and limited in some respects the way in which standard contractual clauses could be used. And effectively, that case said that there had to be a double due diligence test. So if you're transferring data from the EU to the US, you have to make sure that the entity you're transferring data to is safe, but also that the legal regime in the country or countries where that data is going to reside is safe too. And effectively, the ECJ said 
that in the case of the US, it wasn't persuaded that the second part was good enough because of the ability of the of US government particularly to look at that data and effectively the court said that they'd need persuading really that adequate measures were in place to secure that data so can I stop stop you there yeah do yeah because You've obviously written about this for the Accordion Compliance website. We're going to link to that in the show notes. And you had some quotes from or thoughts from Max Schrems, who basically said this is a culmination of 10 years of lobbying, 10 years of legal work, of various court cases, discussions, and other information. But as I look at this, frankly, I couldn't see any other decision the court could make, particularly with your description of really the second part. And that's always been the bugaboo, and it will always be the bugaboo. I know that's a, probably an American legal term, not an English yeah, legal we have term. It. You have it as well. Yeah. Uh, but I almost saw this, I don't want to say this ruling as an inevitability, but certainly a continuation of what we've seen from commentators, the courts, people like yourself, certainly people like Max Schrenz. So frankly, I don't want to say no surprise, but I wasn't surprised. I think that's right. And I think we've obviously said it for many, many years. You know, we said that we didn't think that Safe Harbor would stand up challenge. We didn't think Privacy Shield was, would. And we also said that we thought that standard contractual clauses were limited. And I think that's almost the unilateral decision of data protection authorities here as well, because of the way in which Meta operates across the EU, and because there was no uniformity on the sentence, if you like, there was a consultation process called the cooperation mechanism with other data protection authorities. And I think they all reached the same conclusion as you did, Tom. I think they all agreed about the fact that there was non-compliance. Where they disagreed was about the consequences. So the suspension and, and, and what effectively the DPC has decided is that they're suspending data transfers from the EU to the US by Meta. And they also disagreed about the sanction. And that's why we had this process with the European Data Protection Board that we've discussed on other podcasts. And effectively, the eventual ruling is firstly that Meta has to suspend future transfers of personal data to the US within five months. Secondly, it pays a fine of 1.2 billion euros. And thirdly, it has to bring its processing operations into compliance with GDPR by stopping unlawful processing, including storage in the US of personal data of of users in the EEA within six months following the date of notification of the decision. So effectively, in some respects, it's uh, it's sort of retrospective, except it isn't. It's saying that the mechanism that legitimized the transfer of that data was never valid, and that as a result, the data is being held unlawfully in the US, and it has to be destroyed. And obviously, it's limb three that could be worth, theoretically, more than a billion euros 
billion to Meta as well, because if it has transferred some of that data to other people, for example, sold it to advertisers, then some of those people might refuse to destroy the data or they might ask for a refund. So I think that bit hits Meta's business model as well. So I don't know if you saw it, but at least in the United States, there was a rejoinder from your former friend Nick Clegg and the current general counsel at Meta, which I don't want to say it was pathetic, but uh, it was near that level. And I found, I don't want to say disingenuous, but they basically said, hey, we followed the rules and we got penalized. Well, they didn't follow the rules and they did get penalized. Now, perhaps on the quantum side of things, you might argue the fine was out of line or too high. Uh, but as to the underlying liability, and that's why I stopped you to, to really talk about Max Schrem's comment that this was just you know a culmination of 10 years. And I'm not sure the court could have come to any other conclusion because we're at a such a stark divide between the EU slash UK perception of data privacy and the United States perception of data privacy. So uh, where does Meta go from here? Obviously, an appeal will be taken. They have to take an appeal. But are there any grounds, perhaps other than arguing on the quantum, that you feel Meta can successfully put forward? Or do you see other avenues for appeal that might bear fruit for them? I think the whole case is going to become incredibly complicated. And I did see the statement from Sir Nick Clegg and Jennifer Newstead. And from what I saw, it said that the fine was unjustified and unnecessary, that the decision was flawed. But it didn't really get into the weeds of why that might be the case. There are some really complicated issues of EU law here. And in some respects... It's the same as we discussed on an earlier podcast about a meta fine. The Irish Data Protection Commission, which is sort of like a sovereign body in Ireland, reached a provisional decision. Because of the consistency mechanism, that decision was effectively overruled by the EDPB and a new decision was put in place. But weirdly, the commission has to defend the second decision forced on it and not the first. And I think we might see an appeal almost based on that lack of procedure, if you like, that saying almost the judge had reached a verdict and another court came along and ordered that judge to change his mind about the case. So I suspect that's going to be, if not the main basis, then one of the bases of Meta's appeal. And of course, they've got track record in appeals. They've appealed previous fines, not only to the courts at an EU level, but to the courts in Ireland as well. And But I think one of the things that's slightly irrelevant that they're saying is that this sets a dangerous precedent for any other company or countless other companies, they say, transferring data between the EU and the US. I think that's true, but that doesn't necessarily help Meta. You know, if you're driving down the freeway 20 miles over the speed limit, 20 miles per hour over the speed limit, try that defense to the traffic cop who hauls you over. You can't say, yeah, I'm speeding, but you can't prosecute me because other people are speeding as well. 
So I think they're going to have to be careful about what are actual grounds of appeal and what, you know, and which bits are playing to the gallery. And of course, in previous iterations, Meta or Facebook might have asked the US government to step in and try and help them politically. I'm not sure if they have that, you know, political credit stored in the bank anymore. And as you say, Schrems has effectively said, this is about the future of GDPR as well, in that, you know, repeated courts have now said that the US doesn't pay enough attention to EU data subjects' rights. And how long is it going to take for Meta to wise up and accept that? So I think there will undoubtedly be litigation. There has to be an appeal, I think, to extend those five and six month time limits in limb one and limb three of the decision. And obviously, this is going to roll on and on, just as Meta's previous appeals have run on and on, just as Amazon's appeal has gone on and on. And I just mentioned in passing, that I'm not sure that's healthy for GDPR either. You know, we've had ballpark 4 billion euros worth of fines so far. My gut feel is about maybe 2.5 billion worth of fines is under appeal. And again, that doesn't help businesses with certainty. I think there's a clear message that anybody who's transferred data from the EU to the US since the Schrems 3 decision in July 2020 has to look carefully at what the legal implications are. But other than that, there's no definites yet that indicate which way the appeal will go. Let me see if I can break down some different components I see in this. And I'm going to test your knowledge of English legal history here. Okay. (laughs) It seems to me in, in reading originally through that perhaps Meta could make the argument, look, we tried to comply with prior regimes that were not upheld. So based upon our knowledge at the time, we thought we were in compliance. Now, that does not apply to after Shrims 3. I understand that. But as a general principle of fairness, we think this fine is unreasonable because we made some attempts to comply, and basically the rules changed from under us. Now, this came out of an administrative court, court in Ireland. I'm never too upset when one court tells another court what to do. That's why we call them courts of appeal, because sometimes they tell judges what to do. Sometimes I've been able to tell judges what to do when I didn't like their ruling, very often, but occasionally. So that doesn't offend me that one court might tell another court what to do, if it's particularly if it's a superior court. But could Meta make... And here's where the English history comes in. There was something called the Court of Chancery, and the Court of Chancery took up fairness arguments. Now, in the United States, about 40 years ago, we did away with courts of chancery. Courts of, we called them courts of equity. And there is one, one civil action in law and in equity. But occasionally, a court will bring up those basic concepts developed in English law many years ago of fairness in a ruling. So made me think... Perhaps Meta could maybe change their tactics a little bit and nibble around about the fairness of this. 
Once again, understanding after Shrimps 3, that argument might not fly, but any chance that you would see that type of argument available on appeal? Yeah, I think that might be the best avenue for them to try. So for clarification, the the order is from the DPC, but the DPC has been ordered to do that effectively by the European Data Protection Board. And obviously the DPC is the sovereign Irish body, if you like, set up by the uh, Data Protection Act in, in Ireland. And the EDP is a body set up by GDPR. And GDPR in itself is implemented by the Irish legislation. So potentially, there's the basis of an argument there saying that it was the DPC that conducted the investigation the DPC were properly appraised of the facts. Meta made representations to the DPC on the outcome of that finding. But effectively, I think the argument might be that the EDPB, with possession of less facts, imposed its decision on the DPC and, and therefore effectively almost bypassed the Irish system and supplemented an EU system on top. And there's potentially another way in which that argument runs by saying, look, some of the authorities that said that, you know, you know the pushed for a high fine have done nothing themselves by way of a high fine. So they're effectively ordering another sovereign body in another country to do something that they're not prepared to do themselves. So I think there are potentially some fairness arguments and they're potentially equity type arguments as you've as you've alluded to, but a lot of this is speculation. There might also be some procedural arguments as well. And I think there have been issues with data protection fines in that regulators have the power to fine as if they were prosecutors almost, but sometimes they don't follow the procedures that other regulators might. And I think there could potentially be grounds for challenge on the basis of procedural irregularity as well. But a lot of this, of course, is, if you like, playing the man and not playing the ball. You know, it's, it's arguable, isn't it, that Meta have known for a long time that their practices were likely to fall foul of GDPR. And whilst they might possibly be able to kick out the resolution of this investigation, I, I still think they don't get rid of the investigation itself. And even if Meta succeed in saying that the investigation was procedurally unfair, that doesn't stop the DBC starting a new investigation, curing any procedural issues, and we just drag this on and on and on. I think the substantive issue, can you safely transfer data to the EU, to the US, is one that it's highly unlikely that the court would overturn because we've already got two ECJ rulings that are almost identical in saying the US ain't a safe place. Well, amen to that, brother. The issue of the servers, would one of, and that's one that struck me, because now do I need to go to any 
U.S. domicile client who has international operations, specifically in the EU or even the United Kingdom, and say you need to put servers in those locations under this ruling? Would that, uh, how does that argument or that point strike you? Well, I think I think most corporations are thinking carefully about that. You know, do they really need to transfer data to the U.S. at all? Can they use servers in the EEA instead? And of course, many people are—they actually host their data on someone else's servers. That might be in Microsoft Azure or AWS, and those organizations perfectly able to store data in a location of your choice. You know, they'll give you a menu of server locations and you can select. So a lot of people are doing that, I think. And I I think you should look at this ruling in conjunction with the 101 complaints that we've talked about before. This is this whole group of complaints by Max Schrems and NOYB that are being investigated by the EDPB. And they say things like encryption isn't effective if the encryption takes place in the US. So if organizations look at this DPC decision and the EDPB preliminary report from the 101 committee. They'll try and find a process that I think is defensible. But for many people, it will be storing more data in Europe than they have traditionally. In your client alert, you raise one of the points to watch or at least be concerned about is, and I want to pull it up because I love the intro, the days of EU harmony between data protection regulators are over. What do you think that this could mean in terms of long-term for the individual country regulators as opposed to the data protection authority envisioned by GDPR? I think it's going to be really challenging. I think there's a mistrust of, of some EU regulators by some of the others, some of the EU data protection authorities. And I think that's unhealthy. The whole mechanism this one-stop shop mechanism was meant to simplify things, particularly for US corporations, particularly for corporations based outside the EU, where they could effectively deal with one regulator and theoretically at least have one investigation that covered the whole of the EU. And I think we've seen that undermined We've seen that some data protection authorities, France might be one, for example, Italy might be another, think that if one data protection authority is slow to deal with something, then they can just launch their own investigation and reach their own conclusions. And most of the criticism is leveled at the data protection commission in Ireland. And that's the authority that I think is being bypassed in many cases. But that's also the authority that is the lead regulator under one-stop shop for most U.S. corporations. You know, if you look at the news just today on OpenAI, OpenAI seems to be arguing that the uh, investigation into it by the Italian DPA, it seems to be arguing, shouldn't continue because Ireland is its lead regulator. And it has its data protection representative in Ireland and is Irish for these purposes, although it has no 
presence there. So all of these issues, I think, are going to be really difficult. And U.S. corporations are going to bear the brunt of that because it's U.S. corporations that use this one-stop shop argument most of the time. So it causes disharmony in Europe, but it has a real practical effect for corporations as well. And theoretically, it means that instead of dealing with one regulator in the EU, they're going to have to deal with all of them. And that's going to take more time and more effort, particularly in areas like data protection impact assessments, if you're going to have to consult much more widely with regulators and each regulator's got a a delay of three months, then then it could be really consequential for corporations trying to process data on people in the EU. You know, we may have to resurrect some, our Brexit podcast because we seem to be touching upon all the reasons to remain or leave. Uh, but aren't you always going to have differences in individual political units, whether it's a state in, the, in America or a country in the European Union? on different philosophies and approaches. Ireland, certainly different than France, certainly different than Germany. So if, if you're going to allow national sovereigns to prosecute, they're going to also prosecute not simply within the leather law, but the interests of their countries as well. And isn't that just a dynamic tension, dynamic tension in the structure of the EU itself? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And I reflected the other day on the first blog that I wrote on what is now GDPR, which was, I think, in January 2012. It was the day that the proposals came out. And that's, you know, one of the issues I highlighted then. And I I don't want to say I told you so to the European Commission, but I told you so. I made those representations time. I said that Europe doesn't think as one on some of these issues. You know, these are well-founded beliefs on how data should be handling. In many cases, countries think differently because of horrendous events that have happened, like the Holocaust, like, you know, revolution, like insurrection. And Europe doesn't think as one. And that's why we have different enforcement in different EU states. Now, obviously, there needs to be work to be done to harmonize some of that, particularly when you get you know, countries like Spain and Portugal that have got hugely different enforcement figures for GDPR. You know, Spain has 747 GDPR cases. Portugal has eight. Now, Spain is significantly bigger than Portugal, but they have, I think, similar reasons for wanting data privacy legislation. And obviously, they're geographically close to each other. There's no rational explanation for why 747 cases versus eight. So there is a lack of consistency across the EU, but I don't think that's fixed by suddenly saying we're going to be consistent. There needs to be an effort from all of the regulators to understand each other and the pressure that they've got on resources. I think you went on mute, Tom. Got a few minutes left. So I was wondering if we might be able to speculate or maybe if a hypothetical client came to you from domiciled in the United States, said, Jonathan, 
what do we do now? Do we wait out the appeals? Do we move a server to the EU? Do we quit transferring data? Is it all of the above or is it none of the above? I think you probably want to do at least three things. I think, firstly, look at the data that's coming from the EU to the US. Be realistic about that. And if you don't need some of that data in the US, then don't transfer it. I think, secondly, you might want to look at hosting some of that data in the EU if you only need it in the EU. Obviously, if you don't need the data at all, don't collect it. And I know that's a flippant thing to say, but quite often businesses collect data for a rainy day and the rainy day never comes. I think um, then you need to look at this double due diligence test for the data transfers that remain. And that will include looking at who you're transferring data to. So some of the large vendors have the attitude of sort of putting their hands over their eyes and shouting loudly so as not to hear some of these decisions coming through. I've seen vendors even in the last month or so that still claim to be able to rely on Privacy Shield. That's utter nonsense. And a lot of vendors just spinning snake oil if you can do that. So you need to hold your vendor's hands into the fire and make sure that they are respecting EU rules on data transfer. And then you need to look at the other part of the double due diligence test. What is the law in the place that I'm sending data to? You could make an argument, could possibly, that if your server is going to be based in California, that's better than a server somewhere in the US where there isn't privacy legislation. But you'll need to do that analysis. For most of our clients, we're helping them with a template process and we're showing them the questions that they should be asking and the specific, you know, the type of answers they should be providing or getting provided to them for that double due diligence test to be effective. I think if you can paper that and show that you've been through a process, you're in a better position than somebody who's done nothing at all. You're not fail-safe, but you're in a much better position. And of course, we shouldn't forget that as well as this regulatory action, there's a large number of civil actions as well. So individuals or groups of litigants saying that their data has been unlawfully transferred to the US. We've seen a lot of those cases across our desk. There are class actions, not only in the UK, but in the Netherlands, for example, that are, uh, that are going to follow on rulings like this, because effectively, those class actions are going to say, well, the regulator has already decided that all of this stuff was unlawful. So that bit of the finding you can't challenge, we're now just determining what our loss is, what our distress and inconvenience was, and then we're going to cash those checks. So that's oversimplifying some of this litigation, but this litigation will follow. Well, Jonathan, uh, I'm sure we're going to get to visit this again. So until next time. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you've enjoyed our podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. We've linked to the quarterly compliance news alert on this case. So 
for more information, check out that news alert and the Quarterly Compliance site. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.